Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. now do come to the time in which we hear the word through the scripture and we honor God's word. That's why we remain standing. And so today's scripture comes from the gospel of Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. Let's hear these incredible words of grace and of life. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. And, Lord, we just pray now that that we would just come to be just with you wherever we are, whatever we're thinking. Lord, may you just center our hearts on exactly your word for us today. And may we leave here transformed by your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. My, uh, every once in a while, I'll play a game with my boys entitled Mercy. Have you all played Mercy before? Uh, you, you grab somebody's hands and then you try to get the other person to, to say mercy whenever you have uh, assured victory. Now, I'm pretty sure it's not fair for me to be um, playing Mercy with my boys who are 11 and 8, but I got to take the victories when I can get them, right? 
And so, uh, so it was a while back, I was playing with my, my youngest son, Kaysen, and, and so we were, we were playing, and I had him just right where I wanted him. And uh, I wasn't hurting him, but just close, right? And where he knew he had no shot. And so um, I was just waiting for him to, to say it without putting too much pressure um, on, on him. And, and, and Kaysen looked at me, and he said, he said, Daddy, what's this game called again? And I said, Mercy. And he got a big grin on his face. He said, ha ha, I beat you. <laughs> Mercy, right? This word, this game, you know, we think about how different ways that, that mercy, we, we hear about it. Uh, we think about Uncle Jesse from Full House saying, have mercy. Uh, we think about the, one of my favorite Christian bands, Mercy Me. Uh, mercy is one of those words that we, we talk about, we use, but do we really know what it means? Like what exactly does mercy mean? And how do we know it? And so kids, I'm going to invite you in box one to to draw a picture of of someone being merciful. What would that look like? How do you imagine mercy to look at? Now, um, we are in the second week of a sermon series called Dare to Forgive, in which we are looking at at what does does this forgiveness journey look like? And, And really, we sort of summed it up last week with grace in, grace out, that there is this rhythm of mercy and forgiveness and grace that it's grace in and it's grace out. It's this pattern that happens with all of us because forgiveness is such an essential part of our faith. And so as as we take this journey, um, I'm just going to invite us to sort of live and and dwell in this. And we're going to continue to think about this idea of, of what does grace in look like? Because we can only, like Jesus said in this text, those who are forgiven little loves little, but those who are forgiven much love much. And if we want to experience mercy, it's just grace in and grace out. And one of the key aspects of forgiveness is mercy. And this story that we have, it actually gives us a great example of what forgiveness and what mercy looks like. And it sets up this contrast um, between Jesus and Simon, who was a Pharisee, and what they did with this woman who was a known sinner in the community when she walked in and washed her, Jesus's feet. And so kids in box two, I invite you to, to draw a picture um, of, of the woman who is washing Jesus's feet. What would that, what do you think that looked like? You see, because we have these two people, we have Jesus and his response, and we have Simon the Pharisee who had his response. Now, now Simon, you, he was a Pharisee, but he wasn't fair, you see, to the woman. Because instead of seeing who she was, he saw what she had done. And so in his mind and in his heart, the only way that he identified the woman was as a sinner. And not only did he identify the woman as a sinner, but he also misidentified Jesus. And so what we see in one of, in verse 39, as after the woman started washing Jesus's feet, this is what he said to himself. If this man, being Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, if Jesus had known what sort of woman this was, the sinner was touching him, he certainly would have done something. I would have done something different, and I know who it is. I know who she is. And so we see this arrogance of the Pharisee. We see this arrogance of Simon seeing himself not only better than the sinful woman, but also better than the 
false prophet, Jesus. In fact, one of the ways that we know that he didn't see Jesus as, as somebody worthy of honor and worship and respect was the fact that he did not have anybody wash Jesus' feet. I mean, if we had a guest that came over to our house, uh, you know, then we would make sure we do what we could do. They would be a guest of honor. We want to make sure they have something to drink, that they have food, that they, we take their coat, right? That we treat them as a guest of honor. But, but Simon did none of these things for Jesus. Instead, he separated himself both from the sinful woman and from Jesus. At best, he thought Jesus was a prophet, and if he was a prophet, he wasn't a very good one because he certainly would have known who this woman was. And if we were to describe the Pharisee, one of the words we would use is arrogant. And what we see in this text and what we see time and time again is that mercy is impossible where arrogance is present, that it's impossible to be merciful when you really view yourself as better than other people. Um, I shared one of my favorite quotes last week again, um, where it said, it's impossible to really love someone if you secretly believe they need Jesus more than you do. And this is the reality of life. And so here the Pharisee thought, um, I'm better than these people. And there was no mercy that he showed to Jesus or to the woman. Now, we have to contrast that with the response and the reaction of Jesus. Now, it is interesting that, that Simon, who was a Pharisee, invited Jesus over to his house, but in some ways, it seemed like he was an unwanted house guest because he didn't show him any hospitality. I was trying to think, what would it be like to be an unwanted house guest? And then I thought back to some of my sitcom uh, favorites, and I thought of this guy. Um, we got Steve Urkel, right? Somebody who always was over at the house but wasn't treated as a welcomed guest. Um, I've never compared Jesus to Urkel before, but that's what I've just done here um, in, the, in the sermon. He was, this, he was invited, but he wasn't welcomed. And, and Jesus, the way that he interacted with both Simon and the woman are both extraordinary. Because he saw the woman not as a sinner, but as a person. You know, last week, and, and if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back on YouTube and, and watch the sermon from last week because it's so important to set the tone. Because what we remembered from last week is that, is that God created each of us, all of humanity, um, in the image of God. And we have this original blessing in which we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are all equal before God. He loves us all dearly. And so Jesus saw the woman as a person made in the image of God, not a sinner who has let God herself and her community down. And he refused to treat her as just another sinful person or as just a sinner. Instead, he saw her as a person in need. And he was overcome and overwhelmed by what she did. I mean, this is really a scandalous story in a lot of ways. I mean, we can't, it's hard for us to imagine the scene of, of Jesus um, sitting there reclining at a table and a woman coming and she had, she was crying so much that it wet his feet. How many tears do you have to cry to wet somebody's feet? She wiped Jesus's feet off with her hair, such an intimacy. How close do you have to be? How much humility do you, certainly you're going to be smelling the feet if your hair is that close. And then to break an alabaster jar, which would have been this very, very expensive perfume, 
to be able to wash Jesus' feet and to anoint them. How costly was this? What an incredible act of love, of begging that was going on here. And you see, Jesus was moved by the woman's asking for mercy without saying a word, that he was compassionate, and that compassion played out itself in forgiveness. And this is really what what mercy is all about. It's about how we see the other person. It's about how we see ourselves. And so my, my working definition of mercy today is that mercy is compassionate action toward a person in need. That mercy is, is about us being moved with compassion for another person, to a person in need. Now, sometimes that is towards somebody who has wronged us, and, and forgiveness is a big part of that. But it can be, we can be merciful. We can have compassionate action to all sorts of people who are in need. But when somebody hurts me, the last thing I want to do is to see that person as somebody who is in need. Instead, what I do is when somebody hurts me, I think, how dare them? Who do they think they are that they could come against me? I think this is what we do. I mean, when somebody hurts us, our natural response is to hurt them back. I mean, I know this because I have two sons who are brothers, and when one hurts the other one, the other one wants to get back, right? And this is the pattern that we do. Now, it's not just brothers, but it's all of us. When somebody hurts us, our first response, our first thought is, how can I hurt them back? Now, we don't always act on it, but oftentimes we will. It'll be a lot more subtle, and oftentimes it's a lot more sneaky. Sometimes we wish we could just punch them like we did when we were eight. But our response when we get hurt is to hurt the other person back. And another part of our response often is to separate ourselves from the other person. Is to think, well, I would never do that. I, can't, I wouldn't hurt somebody like that. I would never betray somebody. I wouldn't ever say those words about people. But the truth is, is that this journey of forgiveness and this journey of mercy demands that we have humility with ourselves. And what happens is, is it always takes humility for us to see humanity. It it, it takes us to realize that we are capable of things. It takes us to realize that, that we are being hurt in order to see other people the way they truly are. Now, again, we often like to just separate ourselves and, and have people be others. We, we talked at some point in time last year about how our tendency to other people. That's what the Pharisee did with the woman is, is he othered her by calling her a sinner, which naturally implied that he was righteous and he was better. So he separated himself. We do the same thing. We put labels on people and, and that's so that we can separate ourselves from them so that we don't have to be connected. But humility draws us into connection with other people, and it reminds us that people are people who need love. And so kids, in box three, I invite you to draw a picture of someone who needs mercy, who's someone you think needs this compassionate action and healing. Now, as I was talking about, I think the way we view the world is really really important. And how we view God and how we view each other really shapes the way we interact with one another. And so in this story, I thought it'd be interesting for for us to sort of visualize how the world is and how people viewed the world. And so first, uh, I want us to think about how the world actually is. And so as we think about how the world actually is, we we have Jesus, all right, and he is holy, he is separate, 
and that we have the woman and we have Simon. Now you'll notice that these people are side by side because um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is that no matter what our sins are, all right? And in the, in the scriptures, in the, in the story, Jesus said there's somebody who owes 50 denarii and there's 500 denarii. Now the, the truth is while those are both significant amounts of debt to owe, the thing is those are still people who are in debt to the moneylender. And no matter what we've done, we are closer to the worst person who's ever existed than we are to Jesus. We like to think of ourselves as like whoever's the worst person we can imagine being there in the corner and like we're, you know, closer to Jesus. But the truth is we're all right there. We have all fallen way short of God's goodness and faithfulness and of his plan in the life. And so this is how the world actually is. But, but what do you think, Simon, how Simon viewed the world? This is how I think Simon viewed the world, is that Simon saw himself as above Jesus. He said, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who this woman is. And so Jesus, so he saw himself as better than Jesus and so much better than this woman who was a known sinner. He was overcome and overwhelmed by his own sense of righteousness. I am better than. I am holier than. A Pharisee was known to be a strict obeyer of the law. And, and this person would have done everything to the letter of the law. But what often we see with the Pharisees is that they missed the point. Is that they did the right things for the wrong reasons. And they didn't, they didn't get the law. The law of love instead of the law to be better than. And so he saw himself as better than everybody, including at this moment, Jesus. Now, what did the woman see? I think for me, it's pretty interesting what I think the, the woman saw, because she saw only herself and Jesus, that the woman did not even see Simon. I mean, think about how humbling this would have been. I mean, to being known in town as the sinful woman, to walk into the religious leader's house of the day, and then to humble yourself or humiliate yourself by washing the feet of Jesus. This would have been one of the most embarrassing things possible. You know, I think about for, for us, we hesitate to, to come to the altar um, on Sunday morning because we're, we always think, I wonder if people will think there's something wrong with me. Yes, there's something wrong with all of us, right? We struggle to, to come up here and say, Lord, we need you. Um, because we think, oh, people are going to guess what's going on wrong in my life. I don't think that's the case at all. I think this, this is a chance for us to realize that for this woman and in our time of need, nothing else matters but our relationship with Jesus. Nothing else matters but him in that moment. And so in, this, in, in the world, what she saw was that Jesus was her only hope. It didn't matter that Simon was there. It didn't matter that other religious leaders were there. It only mattered that Jesus was there and that Jesus could do what only Jesus could do. Now, the incredible thing for our faith story is while we, the world actually is that Jesus is separate, that he's holy, the way he engages the world is actually very different. And so the way that Jesus engages the world looks a little bit like this, is that he has entered in, he has descended into the world, and that he has seen other people as better than himself, as more important than himself, that he has humbled himself to a degree to become human, to become a slave, and to become a slave unto death. It takes humility to see humanity. And so this is the journey of Jesus. 
And it's a journey of mercy, of compassionate action to other people in need. And, and, and I think if we want to do this, then we're going to have to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. We're going to have to engage with the world the way that Jesus engaged with the world. And that is to become people of mercy and to see people differently. And so if we want merciful eyes, it has to begin with an empathetic heart. If we want to see other people and be seen by other people and to see the world the way God sees the world, it begins with an empathetic heart, merciful eyes. So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we embody an empathetic heart and an empathetic life? The first thing is that we have to identify with the person or the people who have hurt us. Now, this is really, really hard and something we don't really like to do is to identify with somebody who has caused us pain. We don't like to say, oh, they are like us. Again, we like to keep our distance. I would never now, I'm reading a book on forgiveness by Desmond Tutu, and he's a, a bishop in South Africa that, that dealt with the apartheid and the um, systematic racism that was existing there. And this is a quote that, that really boggled my mind, but I think is really true. He said this, each of us has the capacity to commit the wrongs against us, against others that were committed against us. Each of us has the capacity to commit the wrongs against others that were committed against us. Now, we like to think, no, that's not the case. I could never do that. I would never do this thing. What that person did, I am not capable of doing. But, but the truth of the story is that we are all capable of doing evil and awful things, even the most evil and awful things that have been done to us. We have that capacity. Now, it's, again, it's extraordinary for what he did in his role, but also what he did in his life. His, his father was abusive and cruel to him. And one of the things that, that he really came to terms as he took this journey of forgiveness is he thought that if I lived the same life that my dad lived, I would very well do the things that he did. One of the things I say often up here is I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And we don't know one another's stories. We, we meet each other most often in the middle of their lives, and we don't know what happened before. But most of the time, people have a reason to do what they've done, even if it's not a good reason, but their story sort of leads it up to that moment. And so we have to identify and realize that we are all capable of these things. I was talking with Nick Bailey uh, earlier this week, and we were talking about Star Wars, which we enjoy. And one of the extraordinary things, we were talking about Darth Vader. You know, Darth Vader is sort of this epitome of evil. And, um, you know, he's, he wears dark. He's got a half machine, half human. Um, but, but one of the things in the movie Star Wars and the original trilogy that, that stood out was in this sort of dream sequence with Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And, and as Luke is, is fighting Darth Vader at the, um, at the end, when he takes off um, Darth Vader's mask in his dream, he sees his own face as Darth Vader. And it is this reminder that he is capable. He is potentially could be like what ends up being his dad. Sorry if you've never seen it before. <laughs> Man, there's some kid like, no. Yeah, that's, that's how we all were. All right. We all have the capacity to turn into our mom, our dad, our uncle our former best friend, whoever it is, we are all capable. 
And once we identify ourselves, we stop that distance and we bring ourselves there. The next thing that we have to do is listen to the person. Listen to their story. Because they have a story that, you, that we don't know. And again, oftentimes, once we hear their story, we understand the reasons and the decisions that they make. That doesn't mean that, the, that they made the right decision. It doesn't mean that it's justified. It just means it's understandable. And we begin to understand more and more about the other person. One of, the, the, one of my favorite television shows is Lost. And one of the things they would do is they would tell a story and they'd tell it in flashbacks. And, and you went back and once you learned more about the person and their origin story, their behavior on the island made more sense. It didn't make it right. It just made more sense. And we listen to one another. And when we listen to one another's stories, we begin to see them as a different light, not just the results of their actions, all right, but as a person. Mr. Rogers, who we all love, right, he used to carry this quote around in his wallet and said this, there isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've learned their story. There isn't anyone you couldn't love once you've learned their story. Now, I think sometimes, "Eh, I don't know about that. These, there's some pretty bad people out there, but I think this is true. That when we sit with people and we listen to their story, we become moved by compassion. These are mercy eyes that see the world in a different way. So we identify, we listen, and then we move towards the other person. We, we move towards them with compassion. We move towards them with compassionate actions because God has moved towards us. You see, mercy is most difficult at a distance, and it's easiest when it's up close. And this is what Jesus did. I mean, think about the journey that Jesus took from heaven to earth, because Jesus identified with us. He didn't just say, ooh, too bad those humans out there. He became one of us, literally became human to identify with us. He listened to people. This is part of the remarkable story of the Gospels, is that people would tell him things, And he would listen. And most of all, he died for us. His compassionate action was his life and death and resurrection. Is that he gave all for us so that we could experience the life that God would have for us. And what we have to believe is that our model for mercy is the man on the cross. What does mercy look like? It looks like Jesus who saw the world not as it was But as he believed it to be, that these people around him, the Pharisee and the woman, were people who desperately needed mercy. And that's how he engaged and interacted with the world, and he forgave sins. And so kids in box four, I invite you to draw a picture of Jesus forgiving you. You see, this is the story of Jesus, is that he moved down so that we could move up. He came down and entered into our world. He came down and forgave us our sins so that we could participate in his world, both here on earth, but also forever in heaven. And I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus didn't just come to rescue us out of the world, but to redeem us for the world, that he calls us to participate in mercy, that as we have received mercy, we are called to give mercy. He didn't just come down and say, oh, you asked for forgiveness. Well, let me get you out of this place. But he said, oh, you asked for forgiveness. 
Now go and be a person of forgiveness in this world. You have received mercy. You have been forgiven much. Now go and love much. The mission of Jesus continues, and we are to be part of that redemption work, of that mercy work, to see people with mercy eyes. And in fact, that is what is most notable about the scripture I read earlier. We get stuck on the fact of this scandalous, intimate act by this woman and how just jarring that is. But for the people who were there in that room, the most scary, the most scandalous and jarring act was not what the woman did for Jesus, but what Jesus did for the woman when he said, your sins are forgiven. That was what got them all riled up. Because in that moment and by that statement, he did something that nobody else could do. He forgave her sins. And the only person who could forgive sins was God. And this is part of the scandal. This is part of our scandal. That we who are undeserving, we who are like the woman who have sinned much, are forgiven in the name of Jesus. That Jesus looks at us and he says, you are forgiven. If we come asking for mercy, he gives it every time. And then he tells us these incredible words, go and do likewise. You've received mercy, go give it. But, what, but to that person, God, yeah, give it to that person. I don't want to, that's okay. I'll be with you. Grace in, grace out. And so if you're here today and, and, and maybe, um, you know, and earlier we, we sang that song, failure's never final when the father's in the room. We said, check your shame at the door. It's not welcomed anymore. And that's what we believe here in this church is that failure is never final and that Jesus will forgive us. And maybe you just need to receive that today. And so as I pray, if you want to come to the altar, if you're at home and you just want to get on your knees, I invite you to do that, to just receive that. But there are some of us who are called to go and, and be mercy. We receive that forgiveness. It's a continual process, but now we're also called to give it as well. And that involves seeing the world differently, seeing the world with mercy eyes. Now, somebody shared with me a story of magic eyes about forgiveness. I want to share it, and this is how I'm going to close my sermon with you all today, a, sermon, a story of magic eyes. I changed it to mercy eyes because it fits better with my, um, with my sermon. But I think it, is a, it all involves how we see one another. And so let me share this story with you. In the village of Fakin, in innermost Fryland, there lived a long, thin baker named Fook, a righteous man with a long, thin chin and a long, thin nose. Fook was so upright that he seemed to spray righteousness from his thin lips over everyone who came near him. So the people of Fakin preferred to stay away. Fook's wife, Hilda, was short and round. Her whole body was round. Hilda did not keep people at bay with righteousness. Her soft roundness seemed to invite them instead to come close to her in order to share the warm cheer of her open heart. Hilda respected her righteous husband and loved him too as much as he allowed her. But her heart ached for something more from him than his worthy righteousness. And there in the bed of her need lay the seed of sadness. 
One morning, having worked since dawn to knead his dough for the ovens, Fook came home and found a stranger in his bedroom lying with Hilda. Her adultery soon became the talk of the tavern and the scandal of Fakin's congregation. Everyone assumed that Fook would cast out Hilda from his house. So righteous was he. But he surprised everyone by keeping Hilda as his wife, saying he forgave her as the good book said he should. In his heart of hearts, however, Fook could not forgive Hilda for bringing shame to his name. Whenever he thought about her, his feelings towards her were angry and hard. When it came right down to it, he hated her for betraying him after he had been so good and so faithful a husband to her. He only pretended to forgive Hilda so that he could punish her with his righteous mercy. But Fook's fakery did not sit well. So each time Fook would feel his secret hate towards Hilda, an angel came to him and dropped a small pebble, hardly the size of a shirt button, into Fook's heart. Each time a pebble dropped, Fook would feel a stab of pain, like the pain he felt in the moment he came in on Hilda. Thus he hated her more. His hate brought him pain, and his pain made him hate the pebbles multiplied, and Fook's heart grew very heavy with the weight of them, so heavy that the top half of his body bent forward so far that he had to strain his neck upward in order to see straight. Weary with hurt, Fook began to wish he was dead. The angel who dropped the pebbles into his heart came to Fook one night and told him how he could be healed of his hurt. There was one remedy, he said, only one for the hurt of the wounded heart. Fook would need the miracle of mercy eyes. He would need eyes that could look back at the beginning of the hurt and see his Hilda, not as a wife who betrayed him, but as a weak woman who needed him. Only a new way of looking at things through the mercy eyes could heal the hurt flowing from the wounds of yesterday. Fook protested. Nothing can change the past, he said. Hilda is guilty, a fact that not even an angel can change. Yes, poor hurting man, you are right, the angel said. You cannot change the past. You can only heal the hurt that comes from the past. And you can only heal it with the vision of the mercy eyes. And how can I get mercy eyes, pouted Fook. Only ask, desiring as you ask, and they will be given you. And each time you see Hilda through your new mercy eyes, one pebble will be lifted from your aching heart. Fook could not ask at once, for he had grown to love his hatred. But the pain of his heart finally drove him to want and to ask for the mercy eyes that the angel had promised. So he asked, and so the angel gave. Soon, Hilda began to change in front of Fook's eyes wonderfully and mysteriously. He began to see her as a needy woman who loved him instead of a wicked woman who betrayed him. The angel kept his promise, and he lifted the pebbles from Fook's heart, one by one. Though it took a long time to take them all away, Fook gradually felt his heart grow lighter. He began to walk straight again. And somehow his nose and his chin seemed less thin and sharp than before. 
He invited Hilda to come into his heart again, and she came, and together they began again a journey into their second season of humble joy. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.